Hey everybody, Andrew Easton here, and I've got two quick things to bring up before today's episode with Michael Freida. First, if you're passionate about personalization and enjoy listening to the guests we've been able to have on the pod, I encourage you to look into the conference that we're hosting at Westside Community Schools on May 29th and 30th. The event, the Westside Personalized Summit, will feature speakers like author of Tapping the Power of Personalized Learning, Dr. Jim Rickabaugh, co-author of How to Personalize Learning, Kathleen McClaskey, and author of Students at the Center, Allison Zamuda. In addition to these national names, we bring in a number of classroom teachers from around the country to have them share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices, right alongside the myriad of Westside teachers who have shared their personalization stories on the podcast. And best of all, you get the two amazing days of personalized PD along with breakfast items and lunch for only $75. To register, visit this site, bit.ly slash WPTickets. That's bit.ly slash WPTickets with W, P, and T in caps. Okay, and the second thing I wanted to bring up was to preview the podcast that you're about to listen to. In this episode, Michael Freida shares his global climate change game that he created for his natural science course. The game is an incredible example of game-based learning, it's creative, and it's a powerful learning experience for his students. For this particular episode, we also recorded a video of this conversation that you can find on my YouTube page. So check that out if you want to see some of the game pieces, handouts, meters, and more that Michael created. Lastly, I want to note that the primary reason that Michael and I are sharing this example is not to ask you to replicate the game, which you certainly are free to do, but most listeners will benefit from seeing the creativity, the thinking in the design process, the game mechanics, and all of Michael's insights and reflections as he built and implemented this game into his classroom. So to recap, be sure to register for the Westside Personalized Summit at bit.ly slash WPTickets with uppercase W, P, and T, and enjoy learning about this incredible game. Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod. All right, welcome back for another uh, Westside Personalized Podcast video, really. This time we're going to probably cover a couple different mediums here with this, and I'm uh, getting a chance to visit today. Michael Friday, who's energetic and fun, loves playing games, which is what we have here before us. Uh, And so I'm really looking forward to uh, Michael getting a chance to share what games and personalized learning and just kind of a lot of the cool things he does in his classroom meet. And so uh, to begin with, though, if you don't know Michael, I want him to give you a little bit of an introduction about um, just kind of history and education, years experience, the classes you teach, and where this game kind of comes in uh, to your current coursework. Well, we're going to start off today with sort of the coup de grace of the games that I have in my classroom because they I have games at various different levels in my classroom, from simple all the way up to ridiculously complex. And I'm excited about <laughs> ridiculously complex because it has the possibility of giving us some ridiculously complex learning. And so that's a that's an exciting goal for me. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But uh, this is my 15th year at Westside Community Schools. I've been teaching this course for the entirety of that 15 years. Wow. And our philosophy with this course is has always been that this is a team effort. We're going to work together. I've had a wide variety of teammates over the course of that 15-year period, and every single one of them has made the course better. And so our philosophy is that we really mean teaming in this course, and that means that we want to do everything that we possibly can to craft something that we're going to have ownership over, that the kids are going to have ownership 
ownership over. And so we've we've had a lot of success working together on these sorts of things. And so this is for the natural science course here at Westside High School. It's a course that is nine through 12. It's a course that is designed to help to support students who need a little bit more extra support and to see a pathway to success in science. And part of the reason why I love teaching is because I love to take a student who needs that extra support and is maybe a little down on what's been happening in school up until this point and really show them that they can be successful and that science is, the reason why we teach science in school is because we want great problem solvers in our society is the Absolutely. reason why we teach science. And, and so this game in particular is designed to model the style of problem solving that is going to need to happen in order for us to solve arguably one of humanity's greatest challenges, global climate change. I appreciate that you start off with why, because that's something that sometimes we get so caught up in what we're doing and how we're doing it, that to really invest in that, like the, the core of this is, is to reach some of those science um, students and learners who maybe are a little apprehensive about that, or like you said, maybe not had a positive uh, educational experience, maybe particularly in the sciences. And so um, certainly what better way to do that than, than a game? And I think that's kind of getting to your how here, right? How do we start to engage people uh, in real world situations and games can certainly do that. I know there's a, a game designer, Jane McGonagall, Jane Mc, I'm maybe getting that crossed up with Harry Potter. Right. Jane McGonagall. <laughs> there you go. Jane McGonagall. Edit that out. But Jane McGonagall has a TED talk uh, where she yeah. really advocates for the power of games and it's not necessarily, yes, they're fun and engaging, but the potential that that has to teach us how to create innovative uh, techniques and solutions to problems is the nature of being invested in a game and so uh, that's awesome that you have it sounds like that yeah. vision in your why and, and how this game plays out for and, your and that's sciences. really I think is something important to emphasize here at the start I really consider this to be multifaceted learning this is not going to be only about the content in fact content is only one piece of this there's also going to be social emotional learning in here there's going to be reflective learning there's going to be different styles of uh, quantitative and qualitative approaches to how we would interpret data I wanted to craft a game Game in which if we're realistically going to be uh, targeting a very difficult problem to solve, we need to really consider the richness of what goes into that problem. And any good learning experience is going to do that, right? Absolutely. That it's not just going to be about knowledge and comprehension. It's going to be about developing teamwork skills and collaboration. And like you said, the social emotional piece and a deeper level of thinking and engagement in whatever content you're going through, right? And and so... Uh, Can I give you another layer for the why, for the social yeah, emotional yeah, here? And so this is something that I started doing this year. And good. this... Co-share of yeah, this we'll, year? We'll, we'll, let's make sure we're in frame. Yep, we're in frame. Okay. <laughs> and so this is the vision, the actual visual aid that I use with students very near to the start of the year in which I always start off my classroom with what pure science is really about how do we think about the world and how do we use rules of thinking to interpret our world. And I think culturally right now, one of the things that, that we're all just really struggling with is how do we react to challenging facts, scary observations, inconvenient truths. Global climate change is scary and the purpose of the game is not to scare people. The purpose of the game is for us to do a very serious investigation into some challenges that we have to face. And so this is a continuum that was proposed by a group of people in a uh, book or article. I think that this is uh, from the American Progress Institute, Global Warming Six Americas and Audience Segmentation Analysis. And we can use this for any dimension of science, any dimension of any content area this works for. I think, but particular because, particularly because global climate change tends to be a 
hot button issue in our society that there are a lot of emotions uh, associated with that. We don't want to drown out those emotions in people mm-hmm. because when you you when you don't, objectify yeah. it almost in, to a degree where it's you're desensitized. Yeah, we don't want to devalue people's emotions. Uh, we've had success in science teaching these controversial subjects like evolution, which uh, and global climate change, which are not controversial in science at all. But we don't want to devalue any devalue anyone's emotional reactions to things because everybody comes with their own lens. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have an evidence-based outlook on what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so to sort of help students right out of the gate to prep them for this game, I show them this continuum and I explain to them, one end of the continuum is not right or wrong so long as you're able to solve problems and so long as you're able to work with people. And so for any particular issue, any individual could find themselves on any part of this continuum, whether they're more likely to take action, whether they're sort of in the disengaged portion, zone of inaction, whether they're more doubtful or dismissive. And we talk about how doubtful isn't bad. It's good to be skeptical about things. Dismissive, well, in science, we want things to be evidence-based, and so we're more likely to, to dismiss things that don't follow the rules of discourse. And so we want to sort of take the teeth out of the emotion so that it's helping us to reflect rather than hindering us to reflect. Yeah. And so the prep for this game is really prepping people's interactions to controversial topics. Yeah, so, and I would say, yeah. just holding this up too for one more quick second, from a personalized lens, to me this is knowing your learner, right? Yep. And on mm-hmm. some level acquiring a piece of data for themselves that they're going to be able to use to understand uh, where they fall and how that's going to impact, I think your word was lens, with which they view mm-hmm. the content that, that the game is going to ask them to think about. Uh, and I really like this piece up here uh, because we, we recently in some podcasts have talked about risk. Uh, mm-hmm. And a place that I've started to land is that it's less about being a risk taker or being, you know, maybe that's even on its own <laughs> You know, spectrum, but it's it's more about developing a rich risk history is the yeah. way I like to think about it, and um, being able to be put into different contexts and and um, to have to face challenging facts. I, I kind of right. I don't want to call challenging facts a risk, but you're you're opening yourself up to new ways of thinking, and until you're in the habit of and have a history of being able to do that and think about those things object objectively, I guess like, to get back to where I was at. We need to create those experiences for our learners. Um, Risk and learning definitely go hand to hand. And a lot of what we do as educators is to make sure that we are walking that knife edge judiciously Mm -hmm. and making sure that we have the right amount of risk that will help someone to grow, but not so much risk that it's anxiety inducing and shuts them down. And so finding that balance is really important, but I very much believe that it's on us to make sure that we're curating that yeah. and supporting the learner in that. We can't just assume that it's going to happen. We have to model it. So Yeah, and, and I guess I bring that up to you in the idea that uh, I love that quote that it's a mark of educated mind uh, to be able to entertain an idea without having to accept it. And right. so I guess the lens that I'm viewing this through is to say that it's okay to entertain other and risk maybe not having the answer or right. the correct opinion um, and at least explore those before you commit to those things regardless of where I'm at. So, yeah. Cool. Excellent. Cool. All right. So, you ready for game time? Sure. Let's do some games. Okay. Okay. So, after a little camera angle switch, are we ready to play? We're ready to play. Okay. Walk okay. me through this thing. There's a lot of stuff on the table here. Um, man, climate change. This, this is a game that is complex enough that I need to, we need to spend a week prepping it before we actually This video is not going to be a week long. This video is not going to be a week <laughs> long. I'm going to give you the basics. And, okay. and so uh, 
The, the idea behind the global climate change game is we want to have an anchor for students to be keeping track of that is going to be the ultimate deciding factor as to how successful they are in the game. Mm -hmm. I've been teaching games for quite some time, um, and uh, the one, the, probably the biggest axiom of teaching games that I've learned is that you start with where you're trying to go. In other words, how do you quote unquote win the game? Yeah. And so the main component of this game that students need to pay attention to is our carbon dioxide meter, because one of many aspects but probably the main aspect that is driving global climate change is increasing carbon dioxide gas levels in our atmosphere. And so this meter is what we would consider the most, the single most important main game meter that we have in the game. And this is keeping track of realistic numbers for Earth's atmospheric global carbon dioxide levels. And so there's trouble, a, right? yeah, red is trouble, <laughs> okay. and, and that's another mentality. Problems. That, that's another mentality that I bring with myself to to creating these game components. Is that red is a stop sign, green is a green yep. light, and yep. so I always try to pick colors that subconsciously people will associate with good things. So a little later on, we'll talk about discussions, and so a great discussion is green, okay? Mm -hmm. Because I like it. you know I like it. Yep. <laughs> we 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 want green means go. So this meter starts at 401, which is actually a lower carbon dioxide value than our current carbon dioxide level. And so this is a great teachable moment that when I built this game in 2014, I tried to set it at what would be a re realistic carbon dioxide level, and global carbon dioxide is already above this. Where are we but, at now? I'm just curious. Um, we're around the 413 mark. Oh, man, we got to play this okay, game. Okay, we're right, better. exactly. We, we, gotta, we need to engage. I mean, good. there is a sense of urgency, yeah. you know, that, that we need to have for this. So the carbon dioxide meter starts at a certain part, and the way that I help to support the game player in this is that there's all sort of little tricks that I've dropped into the game to help to speed things up. Mm -hmm. Whether it's like a, a card that will have tips or concerns for people in discussions, okay. and then on the back of every uh, roll card there's a turn order. Let, this is a good opportunity for us to talk about the rolls. And so basically in order and to... And that's what I was going to say. So we're trying to keep this limited. We're trying to keep this low. There are how many people in our game? Typically? There's going to be five people in our game, every time but I the game supports the idea that we could have a group of four, but maybe one student who was really into it could take two roles, like sort of okay. play two roles at the same time. If we have students who need a little bit more support and are a little uh, wary about what's going on, we can have two students playing a single role. Sure. And so I wanted to build this with maximal flexibility in terms of managing student anxiety, because if we're anxious, we're not gonna learn. Okay. And so anything that I can do to help whatever the particular needs of a certain student are, it's here in the game. Okay. So we want to keep the carbon dioxide meter low, but it's gonna. The game is gonna start with this increasing because realistically, that's what ha that's what's sure. happening to global carbon dioxide. So the way that uh, the basically that a turn order works is that we're gonna have to contend with the consequences of high carbon dioxide. We're gonna make some decisions that will help us to pay to support goals that will work on lowering this meter together. And together, as a group, this mm -hmm. is a team game. Right. We are not playing against. So each I'm not other. gonna try to vanquish you and be. We're never gonna solve that problem with trying to vanquish <laughs> each other, and so we're yeah. modeling, you know, cooperative, collaborative problem solving here as well. That's so true. each each group within the game, or, or each role in the game as I call them, is a segment of society. And there are five segments of society that students can choose how much they want to get into that particular role. Here are okay. some examples. Well, first, here are our five roles. The roles are industry, education, the public, uh, research, and government. Okay. 
Okay. Those are your stakeholders. Those those are our stakeholders in the game. Those and so for example, I have the government player card and you have the research card well, right I now. I switch out. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a researcher. I will take the blue education Right. Card. Am I okay to do that? Of course. Just know you're learning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and 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 that's a really good point Andrew that there's total flexibility in terms of how students want to engage with the game. Mm -hmm. Some students feel very strongly I want to be in this position. And Education. it may right, yes. right, right. Me. And it may be for philosophical reasons, but I'm going to be honest with you as well, when some students find out that the government is the banker, they just want to be the banker. Okay? <laughs> and right. so they choose they start with the government role just because they want to be the banker, but then my job as the educator walking around the room is to get them to think about, well, what would the government think about this particular quandary that we're discussing right now? You may personally have a different opinion and you can contribute your personal opinion, but what do you think your role would think about this? Yeah. And so some, some students really like to get into the challenge of like, that's the role playing aspect of this game that they're sort of deciding, well, gee, what would my role think about this sorts of things? And all the game components, uh, every student is in charge of a different aspect of the game component that sort of matches up what their role would be all about. So for example, the industry player, let's introduce another meter, the source sync meter. Okay. The industry player is in charge of the source sync meter. This is the meter that decides whether or not our overall global carbon dioxide meter is going to increase or decrease at the end of a game round. Okay. We want to get it so that this is decreasing, but this is a realistic problem. Worldwide, carbon dioxide is increasing. So the meter starts at plus 10, which basically means the sink source meter starts at plus 10, which basically means that if we do nothing at the end of this game round, this meter is going to go up 10. Okay, so the, so the game round is maybe a class period? A game, we, we might get through two or three game rounds in a class period. Oh and my so, gosh, so we could be, we could end up like in a really you, serious, you could end up in a, a it, it, place. The game is designed day. so that if we take no action, <laughs> bad things are going to okay. happen. Okay. okay. Yeah, because you have to, you have to start the problem solving. You have to um, incite that. Yeah, and, and so okay. I have three levels of victory here as well. Students can get a partial victory and a total victory. If they just get the sink meter by the time we're done playing the game into negative territory, that's considered yeah, a partial long victory. Long-term win. Well, it's a long-term win. We've worked to begin to lower global carbon dioxide. If they can get it down into the negative 16 through 20 range, that would be considered a total victory because we're getting back into the safe levels of carbon mm -hmm. dioxide for our environment. So industry's in charge of that. Industry's in charge of this because, and the reason I chose that is because probably industry has the biggest capacity to be able to do something about our overall carbon dioxide level because it is industry that re requires the energy that we need to produce awesome products for us. This awesome mm -hmm. microphone and the camera and all that. We need industry for those sorts of things. Every segment of society has a role to play. Right. Okay. And that's why we're in this together. To yeah. More meters. There's more meters, okay? But these are all designed to keep track of realistic aspects of this sure. problem. And so we had just gone through that uh, discussion of uh, are you concerned? Are you... Uh, are we you dismissive? are very concerned. Right. I'm and so we have a meter <laughs> that measures our level of concern. We're making games. Right. To do the best we can to impact this. My level of concern you know. for curriculum design is high, <laughs> okay? 
All right, so tell me a little right? bit about this meter then. So the level of concern, level of concern meter, meter, this is my way into is, is to get students to inadvertently get an advantage for having more discussions with their peers. Like there's an oh, in-game okay. advantage for having discussions. And so basically when we encounter some of the mechanics of the game, we can uh, choose goals that increase the level of concern meter. Some of our disasters that we encounter in the game, the disaster oh, cards, sure. might raise the level of concern meter because if we don't care about something as a society, we're not going to do anything about yeah, so it. You might be able, another way to think of that might be that this is a way to read the um, social awareness. Yes. And the, and the temperature with that at a given moment. Okay. We want like this to be, this. yeah, we want this to be all-encompassing. This is not just about content. This is about us making decisions as a democratic society as well. Sure. Okay, so there's social studies aspects in this as well. Nice. The last game round meter is the most complex. Just kidding. It's the one that keeps track of what game, what round, game you're round so that is. we can so that we can know so you know everything that's going. After on. ten, it's over. Uh, after max. ten, or when we run out of time, and that's okay. another thing. It's a good opportunity for us to talk about pacing for this. This is a big game, and I do not have unlimited curricular time to do it. Sure. So I've designed it so that if students are working at it, even at a moderate level, they can get a sense of accomplishment even if we were to run out of curricular time to play it, sure. which almost always happens. But every group works at a different play pace. Some groups just bomb through it. I don't think I've ever gotten a group get to round 10, but I also feel like we've always had a sense of satisfaction of what we've accomplished with the number of, of game rounds that we've been able to do. So from a personalized lens, just to call a quick timeout, because this is obviously a personalized podcast or a website timeout. or all these different things. The, my, my lens for this would be to say, one, just as I did, there, well, there's choice. Yep. Uh, and once you make those choices, then, then comes a real-world responsibility, which I think is always great educational practice to be in. Personalized learning is certainly about that. And then um, for this component, then, it becomes about pace. Yep. Uh, and I like the idea even of in, um, let's talk about this a lot, but also don't feel like that should have a negative impact on what we're collectively trying to get done. Um, we, we, want a, we want there to be a little bit of pressure, but not too much pressure. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's, there are components of that personalized uh, mindset and personalized practices in, in the midst of this. And so we're kind of looking at how these um, can be experienced through game, I think. Uh, um, so that being said, are we ready for, to start round one? We're ready to start let's, round let's, one, okay. Okay? okay? And so the game starts and, back to the industry and, and before, I, right? I spend like an entire week modeling this for students just so that they can like know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And I think that the outcome of that has been that a lot of students are grateful that they've had an opportunity to sort of see ahead what this is going to look mm -hmm. like. The first year I did it. critical. Absolutely, With absolutely. Any, any innovative or like um, significant leap away from your traditional legacy model of instruction. And speaking of scaffolding, on the back of every roll card, there's the wow. turn order. So we have everything that we need. With the students could go through this entire game not looking at the rule book once. Okay. Because the rule book is there just in case you know a teacher you know wants to check into this a little bit more. Someone who might want to use it for their classroom, whether a current events classroom or a science classroom. This could fit into so many different uh, content areas, I think, and be successful. So start off. Just like when you cross go on Monopoly, everybody gets two monies. Money. I call them action points because we're going to use them for action. Okay. But, you know, we joke around. We want to have a good time while we're doing this because I'm like, okay, everybody gets your monies. Okay. And so everybody gets their two monies. And then 
we need to see what sort of consequences we have for whatever the carbon dioxide meter is at at the beginning of any game round. So the public player, who is the player who would be most affected by this, and that's why they're in charge of this, is going to start, it says right here on the meter one disaster, and then as the carbon dioxide meter increases, we get to two disasters, three disasters, four disasters, loss. Okay, yeah, we don't want to get there. I've seen movies about that. It's not good. (laughs) Exactly, and that's something that we battle in the sciences, you know, as well. Uh, Realistic interpretation within movies. And so the disaster cards of the game have a picture of the uh, tsunami from the uh, earthquake that caused the destruction at Fukushima in Japan uh, in 2011. And uh, I made all these game cards myself, and they are basically just um, laser printed on little clear stickers. Uh, and so I have total freedom over like the text, and it, over time I can replicate these or add new cards to the game, put an expansion pack in there, oh, you know, man. whatever I want to do, right. you know, over time. And so the second step of the game is we draw a disaster card, and it will for the group. For the group, okay. and this is something that early on we're going to have to make a decision on. And so, and because it's a little bit difficult probably to see from the camera there, because this says a second, third, and fourth, we, this is the disaster one. This right? is disaster. We start the game having to contend disaster. with a disaster because, because, I mean, we're already seeing environmental disasters from global climate change right now. Weather, extreme weather. Is this uh, why it snowed three times in April? Right. It, we, <laughs> scientists made a mistake in terminology by starting with global warming because it inadvertently started spreading the misconception that we should see all warming all the time. Extreme weather is the realistic thing that happens under global climate change. And so um, you want me to read a card and see, we'll make some decisions. Melting Arctic sea ice results in carbon dioxide trapped in ice re-entering the atmosphere. The earth warms because loss of a bright surface means less sunlight is reflected back into space. So that's sort of our setup for this. We're sort of getting our content and our issues out by working with all the components of the game. And it's sort of designed that after we play the game, I feel pretty confident that they would have gotten a broad and deep enough exploration Mm -hmm. of the content. So here's what we have to contend with. Immediately increase the sink source meter by two. Oh, that's bad. It's not good. Now, we do have some choices here. Some of these disasters, like, for example, a volcanic eruption, we can't do anything about that as humans. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen, okay? This is an example of something that maybe we could work on. And so this this card says, this card can be canceled for four AP, four monies, but only if the level of concern meter is six or higher. Meaning that this is such a big disaster that unless we're really concerned about it as a group... And are able to fund it. And are able to fund it. That's the only way that we can cancel this one. So at the beginning of the game, that's the other cool thing about this game. This game will play differently every single time somebody plays it because it's basically just like a luck of the draw or unluck of the draw in terms right. of the disaster cards of what would happen. So we got raise so, level concerns. So we already have our sink source meter up in the plus 12 region. So if we don't do anything, this is going to start increasing you know, pretty darn sure. fast. So this one, we couldn't do anything about but now we need to start taking steps to do something about it okay so next step of the game is we have our discussions which the purpose of the discussion is not only to get students engaging on these issues and discussing these issues but also for me to take an opportunity as a teacher in general to model respectful discourse with them and that's probably one of the biggest aspects of the game that I spend time with at the beginning they get a variety of of uh, 
visual aids when they walk into the game and one of them is there will be an example round and then when they get to the game on the back of these discussion cards which we'll discuss in a minute has some tips and cautions for them as to how to be respectful in discussions mm -hmm. some thing critical things for them to uh, consider now why are we having discussions in this game well in every game round the quality of our discussions is going to determine how much money we earn and the money is going to be used to work towards goals goal tracking mm -hmm. board that will help us to begin to lower the sink source meter and in turn the carbon dioxide meter so the way that this next step would go is we shuffle the resource card discussions and the education role which is your role hey. is basically in charge of a lot of the reading for things because we want each role to model what they would do and so since a big mission of uh of, uh, education is reading this is going to be an opportunity for the education player I also prep students I do say to them because some kids are a little bit more timid about reading in front of their peers when they first start the game I'll say to them these are the five roles this is what each of the five roles have are required to do if you consider yourself to be a great model for reading for your peers, please consider taking on the education role so that way we can get a strong reader who's doing the education mm -hmm. role. But oftentimes what we'll see, this has been one of the greatest long-term outcomes of the game, is that students want to drive discussions and so almost always what happens is that the education player might start with a resource card but then they just end up bouncing around the board and everybody does a little bit of reading which is awesome. Gotcha. So do you want to read for us our discussion piece that we're going to use to get money? Sure. One of the ethical dilemmas of global climate change is individual versus community. An example of this dilemma is the desire of an individual chemical company to make profits and employ workers balanced by the desire of surrounding communities to avoid toxic chemicals from those companies. Chemical companies build a wide variety of different products that we use in our everyday lives. Poisonous chemicals are often required in the manufacturing of products and it can be difficult to contain those chemicals so that they don't uh, pollute the environment. People want the products, um, <clears throat> excuse me, people want the products made by chemical companies, but they also don't want their groundwater polluted by chemicals. Those chemicals can give people cancer and other diseases. So our discussion questions are, what penalties do you think companies face uh, when they poison groundwater? Should I just read the other? Since yeah, sure. Like yeah, go for it. Why do you think uh, the companies resist these penalties and would you accept losing your smartphone Ooh, yeah. that's a hard no already. Right, right. Well, uh, if if it meant that groundwater wouldn't get poisoned, would you accept an increase in the cost of your smartphone instead? Hmm. Hmm. Discussion time would be five minutes. Yep. And so here's how discussions work. So sure. basically, somebody gets to be the timer as well. Normally, it's the research role because you know quantitative numbers, and so the research player gets well, to whip out there. their phone. Okay. Their um, smartphone, which yep. we might be getting rid of, depending on the. <laughs> So that that those questions elicit discussion yeah. <laughs> among students, and you know sometimes they don't even want to. You're right; it could be a hard no for a lot of people. So my job as the educator is to be walking around asking additional questions that that could maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, would you consider this? Like, what's your part way on this? Is this really a hard no, or are there some aspects of this you'd be willing to accept? And so 
there's a discussion that happens amongst the table, and I usually encourage them to like go like one question at a time. On the back of every discussion card, there's some discussion tips and cautions. I'll just read one of each so that people in the mm -hmm. audience can get some flavor. So the purpose of the resource card discussions is not only to give us an opportunity to practice social interactions with our peers, but also for within the game to earn money that we can use to start working towards goals, uh, our goals of lowering the sink source meter and lowering the carbon dioxide meter. So the education player is the main reader of the game. I try to get these the, the roles to of match course. up with you know what would be realistic for it. And so if you want to grab the top resource card there and read our setup for us. All right, this is resource card number 14. Here's a little background information. Uh, one of the ethical dilemmas of global climate change is individual versus community. An example of this dilemma is the desire of an individual chemical company to make profits and employ workers balanced by the desire of surrounding communities to avoid toxic chemicals from those companies. Chemical companies build a wide variety of different products that, use, that we use in a, our everyday lives. Poisonous chemicals are often required in the manufacturing of products, and it can be difficult to contain those chemicals so that they don't pollute the environment. People want the products made by chemical companies, but they also don't want, to, want their groundwater polluted by chemicals. True. <laughs> those chemicals can give people cancer and other diseases. So we have three discussion questions here. Uh, the first one, and I'll just kind of read through all Go of them. Go for them, yep. Uh, what penalties do you think companies face when they poison groundwater? That's a good question. Why do you think the companies resist these penalties? Uh, would you accept losing your smartphone if it meant that groundwater wouldn't get poisoned? Bear with me. I like my smartphone. Um, but I also don't want right? right. Ugh, trouble. Right. Uh, would you accept an increase in the cost of your smartphone instead? You have five minutes to discuss. So that last question is kind of our hinge question for this because it's like we want to try to show students that there can be balance points for things. I kind of just want to go like, yeah, right, my level, <laughs> right, way up because you just hit me in my smartphone. Right, and, right. and I don't, I don't hold back, you know, on on any of on any of the issues that are especially significant discussion points for them as well. And so part of my role as the educator walking around the room as they're playing the game is to try to interject some additional uh, questions because you know different questions work for different kids mm -hmm. and finding that question that'll bring suck somebody into the discussion that sort of becomes my role as the educator and so after we have our discussions oh I should probably mention that the research player yeah is the timer because you know measurement Okay. Okay. And so uh, we we try to get all the roles matching something that would be realistic for it. So we would discuss this for five minutes on the timer, and then we all have three discussion cards, throwing things all over the place, where we're gonna rate our discussions in terms of their quality, and then this is like an opportunity for for me to model for them what does quality discussion look like? What are we shooting for? Well, we're looking for everybody having a voice. We're looking for us discussing as thoroughly as we can and so I remind them of our critical thinking standards of depth and breadth and logic is going to be the rules that we have for for this and on the back of every discussion card there's some tips and concerns so I'm sort of like just uh, addressing the social emotional challenge of being 14 years old and having to have a respectful discussion with someone so I'll just read one of each of them real quick so um, for a discussion tip uh, are your ideas reasonable and grounded in facts? Is a question that I want them to ask themselves. I don't themselves. need to be grounded in facts. Right, right. You do, actually. Um, but, but that's something the that I want that right. Job. Well, <laughs> exactly. No, like, to what, yeah, to what extent, you know, should everybody... And then a caution. 
Um, here's just a great one for everyone. Are you criticizing the idea and not the person? And these questions are all phrased positively, you know, as in like, are you doing something positive? Are you doing something positive? Are you doing something positive? And these are all tips and cautions that we discuss before we play. Now, okay, how do we rate our discussions? Well, you pick the card. I'm going like... to rate our discussion. Okay, so you put it face down. Oh. And then one, two, three, flip. Yeah. And yeah. Great Good discussion, chat. right? And so I'm enjoying it. Right? It's majority rules. Mm -hmm. And so if you could grab that resource card discussion rewards, all of the rewards for the discussions are linked to what might be realistic rewards for for people discussing. As these I, yeah, good. So you mentioned dialogue. that we were resource card fourteen, right? Uh, yes. So we turn to 14, we had a great discussion, we have a large reward. Well, government's gonna get four money and public's gonna be four, uh, getting four money because okay. government is going to be the group that is going to like have to manage the regulations for industry and public is the group that has the voice in preventing pollution in that regard. Okay. And so as I walk around, another thing that I do is that like I, got, I have my ear out for, for whenever they're finishing up discussions and getting rewards and I'll ask them, why do you think public gets the money reward? for this sure so as they're going around so we would get money and, and what an interesting like visual cue for you in as an educator trying to like manage is to, when you I know exactly where up, they are it's yep. time for you to go over and, and ask those questions and have that that dialogue at that time so we're so, getting uh, a bunch of money yeah well, okay education, no surprise doesn't get any. <laughs> <laughs> money is uh, money it has to be kept within a role because I'm trying to uh, to encourage them that like well do you see companies uh, like except for charity work just giving away money do you just give away money to people that you see it realistically in our society we keep our money compartmentalized so that individuals have to make a choice do you want to contribute to yeah. this particular goal We're allocate those funds to yep addressing this issue and so yeah. then we get it like this concept of like saving money and like you know and so there's economics involved with this as well you know should we hoard our money well maybe that isn't the best plan either you know when right. we could contribute to a goal so the next step in the game is we draw goal cards which the goal cards have a picture of the earth on them okay the goal and every round that the right earth does not end up catastrophic loss so i you drew you draw two new goal cards at the beginning of each round this one is 19 geothermal energy and this one is 20 centralized communities what we're going to do is we're going to get an opportunity to read about these potential goals in the goal card booklet mm. who would typically read this is this education uh goal card uh i think that public might be on reading goals for that okay. one because they'll be contributing largely and so um What's interesting about goals for the game is that I sort of have a fog of war element here, which for those of you who are not familiar with games, fog of war is like you have to make a decision because you don't know what all the outcomes are going to be for things. So there is a little bit of guesswork that is involved here. But as we delve into the goal, we'll notice that the game sort of gives us hints as to where we might get advantages. Okay. So you want to read geothermal energy as a potential goal for us? Yeah. Wind and solar power are not the only options for clean, renewable fuel. Some locations on Earth are close to energy resources within the Earth itself. The heat energy produced by magna, magma near the crust can heat homes directly or heat water to turn it to steam to turn turbines and make electricity. Exactly what burning coal does. Geothermal power has the advantage of no environmental cost and is virtually unlimited energy supply. The downside is that it is only available in very limited places on earth. 
And the subtext for this particular goal is that the unit before our global climate change unit in natural science is our natural resources unit, in which we have another game that we play in which we take on the role of a mayor making decisions as to what energy sources to produce Locally. for our city. Yeah, so the natural so. resources game leads naturally into the global mm -hmm. climate change game. So a student reading this knows exactly what we're talking about right. here, but is learning about geothermal energy, a form of energy that we didn't discuss during that unit. And bringing prior knowledge knowledge from a we'll say local or regional context into the like context of like the global and you know these in, uh, agencies our stakeholders that are that are trying to address this so uh, we that's can, a yeah. goal cost and predicted outcomes yeah this so we can pursue yeah we can pursue this goal at three different levels and Excellent. the the long and short of it is that the so, the different levels cost different amounts the bigger goal you you work towards, the more time it take might take to complete, and but also the bigger rewards that you get, mm -hmm. but also the biggest cost. So part of this is like a cost-benefit analysis sure. sort of thing. Sure. And on every goal card, it says small, medium, and large. And then there's also a number in parentheses on each uh, goal card, which shows how many rounds it's going to take for us to complete. So just for fun, let's say that we pursued this goal at large. Go, go large or go, go home, right? Go. Okay. So we would pay yeah. our eight money to, okay. we're going to clip off this goal at large. It's going to take us three rounds to complete it. But check this out. If we complete this goal, we're going to lower that sink source meter a medium amount. And we're also going to get some special rewards. We're, we're going to like sort of look ahead here in a second. But the way we manage this, so this game board I got from Amazon, this is actually half of the game board that you can purchase really cheap on Amazon. So you can see it's just sort of like a classic okay. game board. This is half of it. I cut it in half and use stickers to produce a goal tracking board. And all these numbers mean is that when you purchase a goal, you throw it on start. And then there's a part every it. round that allows you to shift it forward. And when this one gets to three, we get the rewards. So let's fast forward and see what would happen when we get the rewards for this. So if you turn to the back of that booklet, Ooh. there's a separate section for goal card 19. Do we know this when you we You don't buy know it? it ahead of time, but okay. this is a good time for okay. us to point out that every role has a special ability. Oh my. And All the right. research player's special ability is that they can spend money to look up the rewards of a goal in advance. Government's special action is that they can cancel the effect of a disaster card. Uh, and so it, each role has their own little special ability that they can bring into it. So Excellent. if we completed goal 19, what will we get? Well, we're going to sink um, our source by negative 6, which is That's huge, huge right? So we would go up. all the way down here. Industry gets plus 2 AP. Uh, as is public and research, so, so we actually would recoup six re of the eight we spent. Exactly, and um, so there, you know, you can create new industries by working on problems. And here in Nebraska, the wind industry is probably the best example of that. Mm -hmm. That, uh, or um, uh, also uh, using animal waste and sucking the gases off of the animal waste is an example where farmers are recouping a lot of their money back because they're essentially selling electricity back to the electric company. And so, yeah, you may. I'm up recouping a lot of your money and the idea behind it is that I want to reward students for going through this problem solving sure. process and showing them that hey there are positive in, uh, outcomes for this now that's basically a game round because the way that a game round ends is you do two things you look at the sync source meter whatever number it says 
you you we so we would go up four. So you're gonna go up for like a couple rounds before you start to get it to go down, and then you just move the game round meter to the next one, and then the process repeats itself. Mm -hmm. And so once we have the time to prep this, students get into it pretty well yeah. and get into the discussions and get into making the rewards and they're like yeah we got a total victory they really get into it you know and Which so like we did, we just celebrated right and we're not even necessarily we're not even playing the game, playing the game like, yes, right yeah six. right we did it the world here. we did it we <laughs> did it really exactly fun. Now, this is a good opportunity for me to point out, I think, that flexibility has, has been a, a huge positive aspect of doing this as well because... Also personalized learning element. Also personalized Keep learning going. because the biggest thing that I learned in the first year that I did this game is that the game mechanics... I mean, this is a pretty complex game. Let's mm -hmm. just be honest. Sure. Not everybody is into board games, okay? Mm -hmm. And part of my job of the educator as the educator needs to be to just let go always learning first, always flexibility first. So even though I'm really into games, I'm wearing my educator hat when I'm in yes. the classroom. And as educator, my feelings about games is ancillary to, mm -hmm. to what's going on in the classroom. So the biggest thing that I learned playing this game the first year was that there were students who, like I could tell from their body language and you know what was going on, that they just weren't feeling the mechanics. And a student proposed to me, can we just do the discussions and not do the other aspects of the game? And my response was, slight pause, yes. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of this, for us to be discussing societal concerns around global climate change. Because uh, teachers in the audience may wonder, what does the assessment look like for this? Mm -hmm. So the assessment is an essay in which they write about what are our biggest concerns, what do you think would be effective problem-solving means, and how much would you be willing to compromise in order to work towards these goals. So this is all a formative experience for them, preparing them to ultimately write about what they feel would be the way that we need to, to start to tackle this problem. Gosh, and the part of my brain that's wired to love games and education, and we didn't talk about this at the top of the podcast, but uh, Michael and I had a chance to co-lead. Uh, we have a choice PLC rotation mm -hmm. at the high school, and, and ours was on games and education and breaking down the, the difference between gamification versus game-based learning, which... Uh, I think this certainly has components of both, but absolutely. Um, but but I love the game-based aspect of this. To get back to your earlier point, that you know we need to be educators and um, care about that content first. And as much as it's great to have engagement and the energy that comes with all that, and I would never say if you have the option of doing things that are exactly one-to-one -one comparable, go with the thing that's got more engagement, right? <laughs> right In terms right, of just right. the ac academic benefit of it, um, because you are going to just see so, so much a greater investment. But uh, uh, I love the way this is constructed in order to not only bring that piece to it, but then also really put you into some very real world, you know, authentic learning experiences in a game. But like you said too, if, if you're not feeling it, don't you don't have to do that. They're yeah. the ones who should have the power to make decisions about what's going to be best for, for their learning within the frameworks mm -hmm. that we study. And uh, so. a game educator uh, that I respect a lot, Paul Dervasi, that like talks about it. a game, if you are going to create a game for your class, uh, it is worth considering and, and aspiring to that the student has to sign up to play, yeah. uh, that you're not forced into right. actually, which is a challenging thing to uh -huh. do sometimes. And so that's, I would uh, applaud you for your sensibility to say, yeah, it, it isn't about the game. It's about the, that 
dialogue and it's about learning and so uh, whatever works best for you but i would imagine even if i was off to the side i would probably at some point maybe this is me but right. i can't imagine a lot of people take take that option to just sit and talk but okay so i'm going to ask some of the questions that i'm sure or try to ask some of the questions that i'm sure people are uh considering at this point when did you first start this and there's an evolution that comes to anything instructional practices in general uh and so how did where did it how long did it take for that to sort of marinate in your brain? We get our first iteration, and now we're at a place where I can just kind of go to the shelf. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you do, and just like roll this thing out, right? And it, and it, and it goes. So yeah, talk so, about really the um, that being born as a, a practice in your class. All this started with me wanting to take a holistic topic and have a holistic learning experience for it. Traditionally, in science education, global climate change has been very data-focused, and there isn't anything wrong with that. We do want data to drive everything. And if we look at some of the resource cards, some of the resource cards have graphs on them that we want students to be uh, thinking about and looking for trends. And But that's only one facet of solving a complex societal problem. And so I was thinking it over, you know, I, I have X amount of time in my curriculum, can I pull off something awesome? That was my ultimate goal. And so I had heard about a grant that was available through teaching and learning. And so I was able to uh, use that grant to buy components, build components, and to get the time to be able to work on it in a summer. Uh, I didn't need to put 100 hours into it, but I put 100 hours into <laughs> yeah. it, okay? And I want to just tell people in the audience, you don't have to put 100 hours into something in order for students to have a great experience. Sure. We've talked about in our gamification and game space learning PLC how it can be something that it could be like a substitution, like for math at elementary, you bring like a math game in and play just like if it's indoor recess, if it's storming or something like mm -hmm. that, versus all the way up to creating a big experience. Like the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, social studies has been doing large role-playing games like this Absolutely. for decades. UN games are sort of a staple of a lot of high school social studies classrooms, and that's like the level of complexity that we're, we're talking about here. And so I worked over the course of that summer to develop all the game components. Part of the reason why it took me so long is because I hand laminated everything, because heck if I'm not going to have... The, these components are yeah. in great shape. And it's now been four years that I've been running the game in the class, and so everything is really held up. And and so it was really an opportunity for me to take something that I loved in my personal life, games, and meld it with something that I love, curriculum design, mm -hmm. and seeing the learner's eyes pop up when they accomplish something, and melding it all into a great experience for them. Well, and, and so I'm going to bring up a couple points. Um, as, you know, as you're kind of talking there, I think that if you if you think, gosh, a hundred hours, that's a lot. But you said this has worked for four years. Yep. So now, now let's just kind of think about the long-term run of this. We're really saying maybe about 25 hours, you know, like that you would have. Otherwise, right. maybe like put into redesigning or tinkering with something that, you know, you just invested it all on the front end. Personalized learning, we see that a lot where uh, oftentimes when you have students control of pace, and that just means that on the front end, a lot of things have to be ready. But then when it actually comes time to implement, whether it's a game or a personalized learning unit, uh, your lesson planning goes way down. It does. Uh, and that frees up time for you to do other things like continue to grade, you know, and right. get th those other responsibilities out of the way, or just to be present uh, and be able to walk around and ask questions and not necessarily be tied to the front or, you know, to something that, uh, you know, and, and the, the energy that you experience, I kind of, I'm gonna bring up two parts here. One, melding your own passion with 
for outside of school <laughs> with your passion for school right. uh, makes makes things really j- just enjoyable and fun. Like in my own personal game that I've yeah. developed, it had a very heavy video component because I like yeah. video. Right. Uh, and so I got, was very energized to take those two loves and kind of like bring them together in a way that, that made for a unique learning experience. Kids know when adults are excited about things. Absolutely. And, and I think that then, then that would be my second point, that that energy and excitement is contagious uh, in a way that you start to then be able to see them pick up, oh, wow, this is, this is something new. Look at all these right. pieces and things. That, right. I mean, I'm excited. Just I get to like, be the banker, <laughs> you know, which ends up melding into a more rich experience for them. They, they end mm-hmm. up having a richer experience, even if that wasn't their intent at the start. Sure. So, and if you, know. you know, as an adult, think back to the experience, learning experiences that you went through that were your favorite, or at least ones that you still remember, right? Because there are a ton of days that I've forgotten. But I can remember some, you know, just significant, like we played uh, home ec and consumer economics like class, you know, here, here's your fake money, right? And you right. get to like, wait, we're going to do auction of these different items and, and just right. talked about like, you know, purchasing. And you, you remember those days and those right. experiences is you're kind of sitting there having an authentic learning experience that was unique. And so um, I just think there's a lot of benefits to it. And so if that 100 hours seems like a lot, again, maybe it doesn't need 100 hours. Right. But, but being able to invest um, that intently on the front end usually makes things go well. That um, I would argue that energy. Yeah, that's an axiom of curriculum design that the more premeditated effort you put in ahead of time, the more you front load your effort in making sure that things are going to be right. Now, and that's another element of this. This was play tested in a rough form before I finalized it by both educators and students. So checking to make sure that everything was working out and tweaking everything before I went to the final product. And then I didn't get to the final product, realized that there was something that I didn't like and had to completely reinvent the wheel. Taking that time to have two focus groups with this. (laughs) And then right. going from there was a real positive thing to do. So, uh, and when is that? That is that's not typical practice, right? It is not. <laughs> it's where you go. Okay, it's Tuesday. Today's lesson's a big deal. I'm gonna need yeah. Some. Well, and that's the distinction of when you get a teaming philosophy to work yeah. at Westside High School. When teams work, it's because teams are excited to go all in on something Together. and to make it everyone's rather than to make it mine. Make sure. it mine is kind of the enemy of curriculum design, and so, so yeah, so. Well, um, I'm just going to say thank you so much for your time. My today. pleasure. Thank you so much for the hundred hours. It was that you fun. To this for, on behalf of our, you know, like students as well, uh, because that's that's just incredible and grateful that for the opportunity to pick your brain about this and understand the inner workings of it. I've been in the class and seen them play this too, and I know that uh, it did have a, a great buzz, uh, just energy, you know, to the to the right. room when you did that. And uh, look forward to kind of hearing more, you know, stories. As you, I know you have other games and things. Absolutely, back yeah. Year as uh, some personalized stuff gets off the ground. And I have my own personalized project that I'm going to be working That's on exactly this summer. What I was bring yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Give us a quick preview of what we might hear next time we see on the on the website or the channel. My approach to curriculum design has always been: what's the weakest section of the course, and how can we unweak it? <laughs> how can we strengthen it? Okay, and so. Uh, one throw aspect money of, at it. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> one aspect of quarter one that, that has always been a concern for me is some of the coolest content in quarter one for natural science is very abstract, which that is play tectonics. And every individual component that we have of that, there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself, but there isn't a lot of choice with it. And I have this gut instinct that we could get even more a great experience out of the play tectonics section if we have students making more choices about how they want to learn it. Because the material is all out there. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm very excited to, to work to planning some more aspects of this, whether it's the, in the, the products that they're producing or the choices that they have to learn things or station work I want to work on a little bit. So that's what I'm going to be working on this summer. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your passion and your time that you dedicate to making great learning experiences for our students in our district and serving them. And uh, uh, it's just really awesome. It's a lot of fun. So really appreciate it. Happy to be involved.